Welcome to the Being Human podcast, brought to you by Relate Malaysia. Join us in our conversations about what makes us human and why we think and behave in the ways that we do. We'll talk about mental health, emotional well-being, and how we can sometimes feel on top of the world. And other times, like life calls for a large tub of ice cream and a big spoon. So come on in, relax, and let's explore this puzzle of being human together. Hello and welcome to the Being Human podcast. My name is Dr. Chua Sokneng, and today I'm joined by Dr. Ladislav Timulat, a professor in counseling psychology at Trinity College Dublin who specializes in emotion-focused therapy. Today we'll be talking about lots of intriguing ideas on the core pain human beings experience and struggle with. We'll talk about what these emotions tell us about what we really need to heal, recover, and thrive. Lanzo is the course director of the Doctorate in Counseling Psychology at Trinity College and has a keen interest in psychotherapy research, particularly in the development of emotion-focused therapy and online mental health interventions. He has written extensively with eight books, over 100 peer-reviewed papers and chapters, his books Transforming Emotional Pain in Psychotherapy and Emotion-Focused Approach, and Transforming generalized anxiety and emotion focused approach are widely recognized in the field as valuable guides on how we can better understand and work with our emotions. Welcome to the show, Lazo. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Suk. It's uh, exciting to be in your podcast. Let's start with painful emotions. I think often you know, people come into session and I don't know, they're usually just expressing a lot of negative emotions. If you ask them, so what hurts right now? They don't, they may not even articulate that. But yet, you know, you seem to be suggesting that there are three core pains that we often observe in, in session and, pe- and clients come with. Yes, I think you're right. I mean, first of all, clients do differ. Some are more aware of their emotions. Some are more articulate that they are able to report on their inner world or inner world of emotions better than others. Often clients experience what we refer to as symptom level distress. And this is usually kind of low mood, depression, hopelessness, helplessness. And some of it may be clearly uh, linked to something that happened in their life, you know, a loss or or they lost uh, an employment or disappointment with uh, their life choices or disappointments uh, uh, in their, um, you know, relational life or, or work life and so on but sometimes they don't know yes the the the, the mood is down and it's uh, not clearly linked to anything particular happening in their life similarly uh, a big cluster of uh, symptom level emotions are is anxiety so people may be anxious about particular things or, or they may have a sense that they are anxious just about everything or they may have a sense they are anxious and they don't know why yes so all of it is uh, um, possible but the, but these type of symptoms usually indicate that something is not quite right and and something probably more fundamental and more specific to them and to their life and and to their relationships to their life projects that they pursue or to things that happened to them in the past or in the near past or just about to happen to them the research studies particularly in exploratory therapies that try to focus on what's most difficult most, most what's most painful 
when you kind of un uncover the layers of what's at the core of the, the distress, uh, it seems to be that uh, that the particular vulnerabilities are around experiences that uh, we can conceptualize as experiences of loneliness, sadness. Uh, in a way, I miss somebody or I miss something that uh, was and isn't, or experiences of shame uh, and its variants, like uh, uh, that may be uh, expressed in the form of I'm inadequate, I'm not good enough, or I failed in something, or I'm unlovable, or there's something wrong with me, and or experiences of fear, terror, uh, and these are experiences I feel unsafe, yes? I feel um, unprotected, I feel scared. And you can have mixtures of those. Yes? I can be alone and scared, or I can be feel, uh, alone feeling uh, unloved, but also have a sense of uh, inadequacy so I can feel unloved and unlovable. And this seems to be in, in, in therapies that try to uh, unfold a little bit what's at the core of your distress, the, the common destination where we arrive at. If, if clients present with particular depression and anxiety, but, but probably some other forms of distress, yes, because uh, symptom level distress may uh, show in problematic eating and problematic sleeping. It may show in uh, using uh, substances, uh, you know, to kind of dumb uh, or numb the pain uh, and, and, and so on. But anyway, yes, at the core, it seems that there is this cluster of these three types of emotions, lonely, sad, shame, and fear. They call them emotions and pain seems so much more, I don't know, almost like exaggerated, you know, so much more like big and uh, whereas when we think of emotions we're thinking it seems like smaller is everyday experiences um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah so why why the word pain instead of three core you know feeling okay so so i think that the pain i mean it's not i'm not the only person using that uh, term is yes, uh, for unbearable emotions or emotions that are too difficult to be with yes that they are painful emotions but it's also used commonly in, in language but but i think experiential approaches but not only experiential approaches to psychology or in psychotherapy we're using that uh, term and by the way uh, it, it appears that uh, uh, you know that the studies by i think naomi eisenberg are showing that and, and her group are showing that uh, that there are common neural pathways for physical and emotional pain is yes? for for the experiences of uh, uh, you know if you're physically hurt or if you are being shamed yes or scared so so there are common pathways as well but what we refer to and i think it's a good distinction that emotions are you know in general adaptive so there's no problem with being sad it's actually very important because it tells us that i'm missing something and and we can reconnect then or seek it out and and so on the same with the shame yes shame may be very adaptive I can do something inappropriate, I'll trespass and I feel bad about it and I can, uh, you know, correct my uh, action and, and apologize and so on. So a lot of the, and the same with the fear, fear informs me there is a danger, yes, so I'll, I'll act in protective way. So when we refer to painful emotions, we refer to chronic experiences of loneliness and sad, chronic experiences of shame and chronic experiences of fear. Um, they are either chronic or too powerful to be with. Yes, so so basically, the, the function of emotion to kind of um, inform our living and inform our adaptive ac actions uh, starts to be problem. It actually doesn't work. Yes, I'll I'll feel alone, uh, sad, 
but rather than reconnecting I'll, I'll collapse to hopelessness and helplessness yes and it will become depressed or i feel um ashamed but again that's a crippling shame that it's all encompassing and uh, defining shame uh, and again i can collapse and uh, feel just depressed hopeless stay in bed uh, for weeks and, and and so on or start to feel anxious about any social interactions where i can be seen or evaluated or judged yes uh, because i'm already feeling so shameful when we refer to pain or painful emotions it's verging on them being too much and not not informing us in a way that would be uh, helpful or useful for for people yes implicit in in, in your answer is that emotions provide us some information and you know when you're talking about these three core pains they can be too overwhelming and in your experience what do people then tend to do with that you know uh, and is there a better way to deal with it versus a less healthy way because they're so painful yeah. that you make people run away from them yeah yeah if you can tolerate painful emotion it's already good yes because you have a capacity to stay with something that uh, leaves you feeling very vulnerable and that it's already big strength yes so as you're saying many people are unable to stay with uh, emotions that are too painful and they try to numb them or dampen them yes and try to avoid situations that would bring those uh, uh, emotions feelings or they try to regulate them in an unhealthy way let's say through substances or through just over exercising or trying not to talk about certain things or try to avoid interactions that would bring those uh, emotions and so on so numbing and or dampening is is one of the strategies the other strategy that can be potentially in in short term a successful strategy although at a very high cost because uh, it may not be healthy for our bodies uh, obviously or for our health and it also um, doesn't allow us to harness the information that is in those type of emotions that we are trying to cut off so that's the numbing and avoidance is is one of the kind of uh, not particularly successful strategies or although some of it may be temporarily reasonable yes just you want to distract yourself or to to catch your breath and and, and everything the other less successful even less successful strategies that people get easily overwhelmed is and and then they are unable to function yes so uh, they do not succeed neither to to be with painful emotions and and have a capacity to stay with them bear them uh, nor avoid them but they get overflown by them yes and and then they may feel dysregulated and emotionally dysregulated and and overwhelmed and uh, kind of having a mixture of distressing emotions yes often among them is hopelessness helplessness and so on but they may have a sense that uh, they have very little control over their emotional experience and and that it's flooding them is uh, in a way so i think these two kind of more extreme positions are and and people may be more inclined to be on one end or the other end yes i mean people who seek help or or for whom the the underlying painful emotions were too much i would say sometimes you may even oscillate is that in certain contexts you may be avoiding and in certain contexts you may feel it's a uh, flooding me and it's overwhelming and and emotions are just kind of coming out, out of nowhere or something is and and are overwhelming me one of the things that or one of the ways EFT differs from other approaches like cognitive behavioral therapy 
would be to, I suppose, tackle the, the beliefs that are leading to the, the painful emotions. You know, for instance, you said, um, I'm unlovable or I'm not safe. So, uh, you know, CBT might say, okay, uh, let's talk about those beliefs and whether or not it's true. You know, is it really true that you're, you're not lovable? What are the evidences you are? What are the evidences you're not? And I know that you're well-versed with CBT, but is there a reason why EFT then, is it a preferred approach to deal with core pain? If CBT works well, uh, why this over that? From an EFT perspective or from the perspective of more experiential approaches, believe it's only part portion of experience yes so uh, you, you know it, it's not only simply I'm, I'm thinking it and therefore i am it it's it's more kind of holistic experience was like i'm flawed yes obviously it comes with some thinking uh, and some beliefs and some narratives i i can i can report on my flaws but it's an all-encompassing uh, uh, experience. So shame is felt in my body as I want to hide and disappear. Uh, I, I feel like I'm being sucked into a hole or something is when I'm experiencing uh, shame. It's a physically uncomfortable feeling. So in emotion-focused therapy, we are trying to generate experience, let's say, in, in case of shame, experiences of uh, pride or validation and and full experiences obviously you can generate them through uh, like cognitive exercises like in, in cbt yes when you do cognitive restructuring it has impact on how you feel as well but but we are trying to do it in in a kind of more holistic way usually in in therapy we are doing it by uh having imaginary enactments of internal dialogues or interpersonal interactions with uh, uh, relevant people or sometimes significant, sometimes relevant people uh, in, in the person's life. And when the enactment of those interactions or internal dialogues evokes sense of shame, let's say if you stay with shame yes, and as an example, and, and we then try to bring very quickly after the, the shame is fully experienced, we help the client to tolerate, to be able to stay with this shameful experience here. And then in the experience of shame, we found that a very good bridge to generate different experience is to articulate the need. Yes, that like in case of shame, it's a, uh, it's I want to be, you know, valued, yes, uh, or seen as as worthy and so on. So articulation of that need usually, is, I mean, is used to generate experiences. I am valuable, yes, and and uh, I have a worth, yes, and I did things that were good. So. It overlaps partly with the cognitive restructuring when you are trying to get evidence yes, that contracts your kind of more self-critical thinking uh, about yourself. But uh, here we, we are doing it with, with the full experience of it, yes? Uh, and and uh, I, I know you're familiar with EFT, so there are various strategies, yes, how people can stand up for themselves or, or uh, soften towards themselves and, and bring more compassionate perspective on themselves. And it's usually through seeing their own vulnerability and unmet need in that vulnerability, uh, where, where we're trying to build that flexibility where five minutes ago I felt totally worthless and now I can feel to be proud of myself. And we try to do it through experiential kind of means to imaginary dialogues yes? that, that have an element of unexpected 
When I see the vulnerability, it elicits compassion in me. When I see uh, unfairness, it elicits uh, just anger and, and boundary-setting anger and fighting for the self uh, in me. So this is what we are working with. Yes, We are trying to highlight vulnerability to elicit compassion. We are trying to highlight uh, mistreatment to elicit healthy boundary-setting anger. And these seem to be channels through which we can generate more adaptive experiences in the context of just experience vulnerability. Anyway, I'm not sure whether I'm answering, but I, I, I guess no. uh, at least partly uh, what you're asking. Yeah, no, no I think it's, I mean, it, it, it's very complex um, what you're saying. And just let me backtrack a little because now you're introducing sort of the needs and how do we know that the core pain maps on like which core pain maps onto which need, you know, okay. like, and isn't an example that you could kind of give us like you're saying like shame with what does shame tell us and, and what does this fear and terror tell us? And, and how do we know it actually is telling us that? First of all, also, I, I said it before we started to talk that I'm a psychotherapy researcher, but also therapies like kind of experiential therapies like client-centered therapy and so on, they usually kind of uh, kind of guided by the authentic experience in this case, in, in case of psychotherapy of clients. Obviously, you try to conceptualize and make sense from what's being seen or expressed in, in therapy sessions. So anything we say is observed, basically. Obviously, we put it to some uh, uh, language as, as a theorist, and we, we try to make... Uh, we simplify things for didactic means. Yes, when we are teaching, like it's a let's say lonely, sad, shame, and fear, and so on. So this is what we do. But but it's all backed on on, on the on the basis of recordings of therapy sessions and and uh, the transcripts of therapy sessions. So I'll just give an example. Yes, it's from some didactic videos on on emotion focused therapy. You may have a client that uh, let's say a female client that feels that I failed as a mother. Yes, I, I harmed my child or something like that. In the context of therapy, you may enact self-critical process. So you can enact an internal dialogue between uh, like a, almost a voice or, or self-judgment of the client. You're not good mother. You're not good mother. You're not good person. You didn't do anything right. So if you enact it in the format of an imaginary dialogue with uh, oneself, this will elicit, uh, I mean, it can elicit a sense of, I'm a failure, yes. I'm a failure as a mother. I'm a failure as a person. I'm inadequate, yes. I'm I'm just failure. I'm flawed. So in that context, if the client allows themselves to feel that fully, if you ask them, if you look at that critical voice, what do you need from them at this moment when you feel so flawed? Yes. I mean, it, it, it's a it's a premise of humanistic therapies. That, that people have the, the thrive to to know, yes, or to know where to go next or something. So that's a common phenomenon that the client will say, I need you to understand what was the reason that I failed, or why is it difficult not to be able to deliver? So I need, or I need you to be just somewhat softer with me. I, I need you to be somewhat more understanding. So we could call it uh, flawed and needed to be understood, yes, like uh, experience flaw feeling flawed or worthless or inadequate, and uh, the need to be understood. But as you see it through hundreds of clients, I mean, it, it's more useful to refer to, to more abstract terms like cluster of shame like experiences, yes, 
and cluster of needs like for validation is because or acceptance is I need you to understand you can infer I you know I need you to accept me or or you know be nicer to me so this is how we generated kind of like prototypical kind of vulnerable experiences and prototypical needs but in fact in during the actual session I'm not classifying it and I'm not even explaining it to the client is yes? so that's just didactic language that is shared between you know therapists when they are learning and when they are reading books and and so on but in the session I just stay with the experience that the client used I feel so flawed yes could you look at your critic can you tell that critic I feel so flawed when you criticize me and as they say do you feel how it feels in your body to feel so flawed they report on it. So if you look at, at her, at that critical you, yes, what is it what you need from her when you feel so put down, so flawed? And the articulation will come spontaneously from the client. Obviously, sometimes it's difficult depending on the level of you know vulnerability and so on, but we have different ways of working with it, yes, if, if the need is difficult to articulate. But in general, it's a, <clears throat> when people feel pain, they know what they want. Well, they need not to feel that pain. Yeah? So the, the clients would uh, uh, say something, I need you to be softer with me, or I need you to support me more, or I need you to understand, or, or something along those lines. So can you tell your critic here, look at her and tell her, yes? we articulate the need. When we swap the client then, and if they look, if you look at yourself feeling so flawed, so much needing to be understood by you, now you are the critical voice. What do you feel towards that part here and now? And we increase the likelihood that the client, that the, the witnessing, seeing own vulnerability will elicit more softer uh, kind of stances, yes? more, more compassionate stances. Yes? I see how much you're struggling. I, I see how much you're trying to do for your children. Yes? I, I can see it. Yes? I understand how difficult. Can you say it to, to yourself there yes? in, in the other chair, yes? to the imagined self? And we then swap the client and try to see, can you let it in? Yes, I see how much you're trying. Yes, I feel very caring towards you right here right now. How is it to hear it? Yes. So we are trying to orchestrate a healing experience in the session. Yes. And, and we use imaginary dialogues for it to be as true as possible. Yes, that clients actually feel they'll get in the in the rhythm of the dialogues and it feels like a real experience. Yes. So they elicit compassion, they're able to let it in. They also, we also um, generate uh, self-protective anger. Yeah? So if I'm being criticized like this, is it okay to be spoken to like this? Will you tolerate it? Will you let the others call you stupid or whatever? Is yes? that your bad, bad mother? Is it okay for you? And uh, we try to generate a response. No, yes, I don't deserve to be talked to like this. So can you tell it to the critic or... You know, in, in the context of interpersonal situations to the bully or, or uh, neglectful other and, and so on. So this is what we are trying to do. We are trying to help the clients to be able to stay with the pain, but we also try to help them to articulate what they need and then generate this type of experiences that they need in the sessions to, to counterbalance the vulnerability felt in the core pain. So often our needs are not met um uh, by the social world, you know, with uh, um, let's say uh, experiences with um, parents or more than significant others, and in EFT, you're generating this self-compassion or just anger, um, but it's the self doing the work. 
but the relationships so outside hasn't really changed yet. You know, so how, how, yeah, does that, yeah. how do you navigate that? Yeah. I think that's a that's a fair that's a fair question and potential criticism. You know, of the shortcomings. First of all, it all happens in the context of therapy session. Uh, so, the therapist usually is also compassionate other towards the vulnerability or validating other of the need. Yes. So it's not only the client sees I needed you to understand, but you know, I'll validate it. You have every right to uh, to demand this from the critic is yes, or from the the bully or whatever is. Yes. So so there is uh, some of that social world is happening with a supportive other and validating other and compassionate other that it's the therapist is yes, in the session but but it's true you know in in the, the session you may have this experience and then you go home uh, or to work yes to to the circumstances where, where you have the those constant triggers that that add to your vulnerability in a way is yes, because you have that those uh difficult experiences yes, that leave you that are hurtful is yes? that uh, leave you hurting or something like that and i think that's why it's important also to have a portion of the session or therapy uh, where you reflect how to bridge the experiences in therapy and everyday life is yes? how to be smart about uh in in the real life is yes? and how can you uh make sure that although you may build your resilience in therapy, but you may have boundaries of the resilience. So how to be smart, not to have too much of a need for that resilience. Obviously, that's not that easy. Yes? Uh, you have uh, adverse events that will override anything, yes? like war. Yes? Now in, in Europe, uh, there is war and, and things like this. So it's naive to think, uh, do you understand that... Uh, I'll go outside of the session and the world will be rosy as it may be very difficult yes and uh, but but I think it's very important not only to have experiences in therapy session but also to see how can I be smart uh, around trying to find nourishing and nurturing experiences in life and or to be smart around the experiences that are adverse and, and difficult yes and how can I support in them, uh, myself uh, in them in everyday life and and i think that that part of eft uh, uh, is not that developed yes and and that's probably a strength for instance of cbt uh, approach that it's very practically oriented yes in, in in terms of application through homework to everyday life and 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 things like this but there are obviously uh, uh, developments and and uh, emotion focused therapy is always developing as well there are developments in in trying to bridge uh, the in session experience with everyday life we for one uh, developed um, client workbook it was published last uh, autumn by routledge uh, there are other colleagues in, in that are developing various um, uh, usually homework type exercises that are trying to bridge like serena warwer in in canada they're trying to bridge, you know, what's happening in the session with everyday life. That, that is a common refrain I, I hear too, you know, like I could have this conversation with my critical mom, but yes, I didn't go home and I'm still faced with a critical mom, even though the imaginary dialogue in session ended up, you know, great. Um, but there is something <laughs> important um, about the, I guess, internal work is because exactly as what, what we've been talking about is, our needs are not often met outside. It can be really difficult to um, be soothed that way or to be recognized or validated from, from outside. And if we don't 
learn how to cope with that internally, we'll spend, I think, a lot of our time protesting. You know, protesting mm-hmm. that, you know, this person is not doing that and this person is not doing that, but we don't know how to have an internal dialogue and to provide that soothing uh, to ourselves that will enable us to, as you said, be smart about it and maybe seek other responses of yeah, yeah. uh, people I mean, in real life. Yeah, I mean, I didn't stress it uh, uh, yet, but it's a good opportunity because your comment kind of leads me to it. So part of, of a healthy process, I emphasized compassion and, and uh, you know, boundary setting anger, but it's also um, uh, grieving is very important in therapy. So sometimes we, we kind of uh, get to a stage when we express compassion and validating anger that it's easier to grieve things that were not fulfilled, yes, and may never be fulfilled. And that grief, it's also kind of a a variant of sadness, but it's actually more peace-giving sadness. So it's not sadness that it's difficult to be with. It's still sad, but it's it's like coming to terms sadness. And that's observed uh, phenomenon, yes, in in emotion-focused therapy sessions and similar experiential approaches like client-centered therapy. Again, the work of Antonio Pascaliona showed this nicely, yes, that that the grieving is a very healthy process that may happen in the session. So that's one thing that I wanted to say to what you were saying. The other thing is that to have these experiences where you stand up for yourself in the session or you kind of soften towards yourself or get the others to soften may also um, broaden your perspective on whatever is happening in real life. And you may feel differently about it, yes? So you go back to, you know, the mother that was never there or something, and you actually uh, see differently and feel differently about it. You feel more resourced in a way, yes? Or you have broader perspective. And that may uh, allow you not to feel that hurt by whatever action or inaction of the other. So I think these two phenomena are, are happening as well in a successfully well well going therapies yes and and so there is a, like a natural kind of impact on everyday life without you doing a homework or anything that the experiences you have in session will uh, change your the word we use transform you in a way that actually outside world starts to feel and be seen a little bit differently as well yeah so even if the outside world you know they're not in therapy and so they're not being directly changed you changing can, yes. can create yeah. you know a different dynamic yeah. too. So I just want to end on this because you know as you said sometimes these things can be very abstract. And so you know how can individuals who are struggling with anxiety or have experiencing these three core pains, what can they do in their life right now? Let's say if they go to therapy, uh, yes, emotion focused therapy. You know uh, you kind of nicely describe what what would happen in session and to. Uh, sit with it. Um, but a lot of people uh, in Malaysia don't go for therapy also because they're not enough therapists. You know, how could yeah. they learn to handle and is it possible that they learn to handle or process their own pain uh, on their own? It's a complex question, but, uh, you know, I think self-care is very important for everybody. And and a lot of it can, it can be very preventative. And Obviously, there are very useful, uh, you know, self-help materials or books that that people um, can write. Or you know, now uh, I'm not that good with social media. I, I'm prob- I feel too old for it. But you know, you have very interesting podcasts, or you have very interesting um, videos, and and so on. Yes, that that people can do. But apart from that, obviously, everything that kind of 
is intuitively good yes i mean in uh, in terms of uh, having supportive relationships whether it's friends or or close in close relationships like romantic partners yes uh, if they are good or family to to avail of them yes if people are supportive or friends obviously uh, to do things that are healthy for you in in terms of uh, everything from uh, you know sleep to sport to you know healthy eating and 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 uh, not uh, using substances or, or unhealthy things obviously all of it is uh, is uh, equally important but i would stress that because there are adverse things that are happening so it's very important to find people with whom i can uh, debrief with whom i can go over what happened to get different perspective is yes? that i don't bottle it up or keep it to myself only is yes? that i can go over and almost like uh, uh, through hygiene, psychohygiene is to go through things that were difficult and share, get some validation support and, and so on. And to provide it reciprocally to others, because if you provide it, you're learning through it as well, yes, what uh, you would need the others to respond. You're learning to how to respond to others that can be uh, helpful. Anyway, I'm, I'm sure I'm not responding fully to you, but uh, because it's a complex issue. But I think that there is a lot of uh, materials well written, yes, that, that uh, can help uh, uh, people to to try to do things even on their own. We wrote that uh, um, it's called Transforming Emotional Pain Client Workbook, I think. It's intended for clients in EFT therapy, but it could be used as a self-help book as well. It's published by Routledge's, uh, that book. And uh, so there are materials like this uh, that, that people can avail of, yes. And there are exercises, for instance, exercises that how to help to put aside when I'm too distressed about something. Is that's based on clearing a space uh, technique uh, from from EFT or from focusing, or there are guidance to how to do dialogue with a soothing other like imagine soothing other that can help to regulate. Obviously, dialogues on on how to, to become aware how you stop yourself from feelings and what's the cost of it or to become aware of how you prepare yourself for difficult over prepared through worrying for difficult situations and what cost it has yes it keep it it keeps you anxious we also have the uh, guidance there for how to work with your self-critical voice or how to do kind of work with the imaginary or imagined other that it's based on real person that we feel neglected uh, or you know kind of hurt us in some way so all of it is is in this type of books as well anyway i'm i'm not sure whether i'm answering no, so that's ask great. me yeah. more, more we'll, put, we'll put a link to that um that book um with the podcast i, I guess the, the main takeaway is is pain tells you something important you know, and, definitely, and that, definitely. rather than the running away from it, the, you know, even if you're not in therapy, to be able to find people in your life that you can provide support to, to process that pain and really like that psycho hygiene idea. Yeah. Um, but that yeah. also that, that you can be provided for. And instead of just going, oh, it's too painful, it's too painful, I think the, the needs question may also be helpful moving yourself forward. Like, what do I need? What's the, what is the yeah, pain okay. telling me about my need, you know, in this in this moment? I mean, also, sorry, just to add that, uh, that many people also uh, uh, report spiritual experiences as being 
uh, important sources of, of healing. So uh, sometimes when there are no other people, you know, people may have spiritual experiences as well, yeah. depending on, on uh, you know, sometimes it may be linked to religion, sometimes not depending on their worldview and 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 cultural context in which they live. But that can be resource uh, as well at times, yes. Well, thank you so much, Natsu, for this conversation. Hey, thank you very much for having me. So, yes, that that was uh, really lovely to have this opportunity to talk to you. And I'm um, uh, saying uh, uh, greetings and hello to your listeners. Thank you for listening to the Being Human podcast. To find out more about Relate Malaysia's online therapy services, visit us at www.relate.com.my or email us at inquires at relate.com.my. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, remember, we are all more human than we are otherwise. Be kind to yourself and take care.